This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat. And obviously a lot to talk about for Georgia football. The number one ranked Bulldogs have some challenges ahead with the injury to Brock Bowers, which now we've learned uh, he will undergo surgery, uh, tightrope surgery. I know you read on the internet, it says three to six weeks. I'm told four to six weeks, uh, but I don't know that the prognosis would be that that he'll definitely be back for the SEC championship game or the, the Georgia take. I, I wouldn't assume that. My thought would be, and I don't know, and, and Kirby won't know, and, and nobody will know, but playing it on the safe side, I think this could be a situation where Brock's out for the rest of the regular season and could perhaps join the team in the playoffs. Anything before that, I think, is icing on the cake. We'll wait and see. I know that Brock Bowers will play uh, as soon as he's healthy enough to play. You know, the situation is you can't have a guy out there on one leg. That That's that's not right. I mean, uh, especially if there's a chance for further injury. So, I don't think that anyone's going to rush Brock back, but I think they want him back, but I think they want him back healthy, uh, tough situation. He'll be back as soon as he can. I know everybody's going to be looking at that timeline, but it's just one of those things right now that's out of everyone's control. It's a frustrating time. I think for a lot of people and really unfortunate time, uh, you know, sitting there in the Vanderbilt press box when Brock went down on the turf uh, and stayed down, I knew it was bad. I mean, this is a tough guy. This is a guy that's played through shoulder injury, that's that's played with, you know, groin injury. I mean, painful ailments, countless hits. You never see this guy stay down. For him to stay down, you knew it was bad. When he starts pounding the turf, he knows it's not an ankle sprain, right? Brock Bowers has sprained his ankles plenty of times. He knew it was more than that. Uh, I don't know that Kirby knew it was more than that uh, at the game or afterward. Obviously, there's been more testing done. And so now here we are, uh, very difficult situation. When I learned the news Sunday night, I wrote what I could write, um, you know, without trying to, you know, interfere with the process or any decision-making, but we knew then that there was a chance uh, that was something that had been talked about. So we reported that at Dog Nation uh, Sunday night. And then of course we updated it uh, this morning, updated it when UGA put out the release that yes, uh, he is having the surgery. So uh, it's tough. It, it's not the way anybody wants to to, st to uh, start a show. Um, but clearly, this is your best player. And this does affect Georgia's championship hopes. Very important to recognize that. Uh, this Georgia team, even with Brock Bowers, has trailed in three out of the four SEC contests has played. And it would have been by 10 to Vanderbilt had Vandy not missed a kick. I mean, you think about that. And just on the surface... It's a Georgia team that's been seven points down to Vandy, 10 down to Auburn, 10 down to South Carolina. Those teams have a combined SEC record of one and 10. Better competition is coming. Uh, Kirby has wanted this team to get better from week to week. That's been the challenge. And I think they have up until the Vanderbilt game and very difficult circumstances for the guys. The stadium's under construction. Uh, the dressing room was quite literally a tent. Uh, noon kickoff, early kickoff, 11 a.m. in the central. Just everything was lined up. And then it was just a real eerie feel in that stadium. That it was kind of a gray because uh, there was an eclipse 
Uh, there's an eclipse called the Ring of Fire. And so the skies, it just it just was gloomy and it, it, from the very beginning, and it just got gloomier and gloomier. And, you know, Georgia won the game 37 to 20, and and but, man, was it costly. Um, so some streaks to talk about because this is historic and fantastic for the program. And, you know, people are going to be looking at these streaks 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Uh, George is going to be in the history books. They've won 34 regular season games in a row. Um, I believe that could be the longest in the SEC. It's the longest active streak in the country. They've won 24 consecutive um, games, period, overall win streak. And that is a school record, also currently the longest in the nation. They've got 23 straight SEC wins. If they beat the Florida Gators, they will tie – Florida's record from 94 to 97 under Steve Spurrier with 24 straight conference wins. So that, that second, that's the second longest streak in league history. Uh, I believe Alabama's got the longest Gene Stallings. Um, and I believe Paul Bear Bryant, I think both of those teams had 28 game uh, league win streaks. I'm not mistaken. It might be 26, 28. I'll check my math on that. Uh, 23 straight home wins. They'll have a chance to extend that streak when Missouri comes and then Old Miss comes. And then uh, 18 streaks now at number one, 18 straight polls at number one. I think they'll hold number one next week. That will break them out of a tie with like 1972, 73 USC uh, with Lynn Swan back in those days and Sam Cunningham, I believe. So I think there'll be two teams left ahead of them with longer number one streaks. One of them is Pete Carroll's USC teams. I think they were over 30 weeks. And the other one is Miami. Uh, the really good Miami teams, I believe, of 0102 of Larry Coker. Uh, I think they had 21. So Georgia's in some really rarefied air when you look at what this team has accomplished, what a historical uh, time it is, and just how significant what they've done is. And, and I know that's not where everybody's mind is. Um, my mind's kind of there because I'm reflecting on it and I'm thinking just what an unbelievable run it's been. But I did a story and, and I'm probably going to edit it a little bit, change it up a little bit. But the story was basically about how this Georgia team that you're watching is not a team that's won 24 in a row. It's a program that's won 24 in a row. Okay. The team has won seven in a row. And it's not the same team as the one that went 15-0 last year or the same team that went 14-1 the year before. These guys are their own team. This is their own group. And you've heard Kirby say that, that every year is different. Now, when we watch it, you know, from a standpoint of a media member or a fan, analyst, it's easy to just say Georgia. Well, that's just Georgia, right? But every year's Georgia is a little bit different. Every team is different. And most of the time, there's enough significant carryover of players. Well, I still see Cedric Van Pran. I still see Jamon Dumas-Johnson. I still see J Javon Bullard, Lad McConkie, Kendall Milton, Dejon Edwards, Tate Ratledge. And you go, that's the same Georgia. Yeah, but it's not. It's not because, you, you know, you got a different quarterback. You got a different offensive coordinator. Um, you no longer have Jalen Carter in the middle. You no longer have Chris Smith at safety. There's different components of the team. It's like changing the ingredients in, in a cake mix, right? It's going to taste a little different. 
it's going to look a little different. You know, it's going to have a little different texture about it. And, and that's what I would say about this year's Georgia team. It's, it's different. It doesn't feel like last year. Part of the reason why Stetson Bennett never trailed by 10, but maybe what, once last year, maybe twice, Ohio State and Missouri, and, and not to because the defense didn't give up a whole lot of points or two years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of trailing by seven or 10 because the defense was much better than this year's defense, much better. When Vanderbilt scores five plays, 75 yards on their opening drive, like they just like they drew it up. You're like, okay, they schemed Georgia. Georgia was, you know, behind on trading off a receiver on coverage. They knew there was a weakness there in the communication between Lassiter and Tyke Smith or they felt like they could exploit it and boom, it was there. And then they made their halftime adjustments and Vanderbilt scored on their first drive of the second half too. another 75 yard drive. And you're going, wait a minute. Like that's normal for other football games, but not for Georgia. We're not used to seeing teams just scheme up these drives and go down the field, much less Vanderbilt of all teams. So Georgia was off. They were just off that day. And I, I was one of those people that said, don't get too excited about Kentucky because it's Kentucky. It's Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. You know, yeah, they played Georgia kind of tight, but at the end of the day, it's Kentucky. And you saw Kentucky get beat by Missouri at home. Um, housed in the fourth quarter, man. Um, so we'll talk about those games a little bit because now as we look at the rest of Georgia's schedule, um, it gets tricky. It gets real tricky. Uh, you know, obviously the Florida game, Jacksonville, the Gators beat South Carolina 41-39. They scored a touchdown with what? Uh, this Ricky Purcell transfer. Uh, I wasn't able to watch that game, but reading about it, what a doozy. This kid scores with 47 seconds left. They were down by 10 with nine minutes and 11 seconds left at South Carolina and one. They converted a fourth down pass on the game-winning drive to Purcell. Um, and then South Carolina couldn't answer. Graham Mertz, their quarterback, was 30 of 48 for two, 423 yards and three touchdowns. That's amazing. Uh, now, Florida only rushed for 71 yards. That's key because you know Georgia will take away the run when they play the Gators. Now, who steps up for Georgia? I just did a story on that. You can read that on dognation.com. I think there's three guys that I look to first. Some guys, I think you got what you got. You're not going to get my Like Dominic Lovett had nine catches for 72, 73. He's not going to do more than that. Lovett's not going to make some transformation, you know, into, uh, you know, Jerry Rice overnight. Okay. You got what you got there. He's a nice possession receiver. He's good on the quick passes. Um, he's a quick guy. I'm surprised he hasn't broke a few more tackles after the catch, but he's, he's a, you know, quick, strong-handed guy, pretty reliable. You got what you got. Ra Ra Thomas has made strides every week, but I don't think he's going to turn into George Pickens. Okay. He gives you a lot at that spot. He made a really nice touchdown catch, uh, against Kentucky in the corner of the end zone. Uh, Marcus Rosemichek saying another good receiver. These are solid guys, but none of these guys are in Brock Bowers league. None of these guys are dynamic like Brock Bowers. The one guy who I think could be dynamic and consistent is Lad McConkey. When Lad is 100%, he is absolutely electric. I've used Christian McCaffrey comparisons in the open field just because I think he's that dynamic. Now, I don't know if he'll do that at the NFL level, but at the college level, he absolutely can run away from people and break tackles. As you know, Ladd missed the first four games of the season. Now he's back. And he played a full slate. He played 39 snaps. Probably could have used him a little bit more in the second half. 
Kirby was probably being smart, not using him more in the second half. Um, but if Ladd is 100%, and it's a big if, because that back injury has been tricky. Um, but if he can be 100 after this break, this would be huge for Georgia. It, it could save a championship season because you've got to have a dynamic play. Players win games. Players win games. And you can scheme them up all you want. But if your guys aren't breaking tackles and making catches downfield, it doesn't matter who's calling the plays. And we said at the start of the year that this year's skill position group wasn't as good as last year's. We suspected that. The transfers have been good, but they haven't been great. Okay, they haven't been dynamic. There's better transfer receivers in the country than what Lovett and Rara have given Georgia to this point. Now, they've been getting better, but I don't see that super high ceiling for either one of them. I do think they're very good or good to very good, but I don't think that they're going to increase their workload in any way with Bowers out. I think that's Lad McConkie, provided that he's healthy for one, uh, and then two, loss and lucky. Now, people might say, well, what about Oscar Delp? Well, Del- Delp has done fine. Um, I think Oscar Delp has, has done a great job. Um, kind of playing that tight end spot where Darnell Washington was, more of a conventional tight end. And, and Delp's made some catches. He's, I think he's got a couple touchdowns. He'll keep doing his job, but it's not like he's going to suddenly transform into Brock Bowers. He's not. They need him to keep doing his job. I think he'll get some uh, a, a little bit more action, but I think Lawson Lucky is a guy with a ceiling. You know, Lawson came in during bowl practices last year, really impressed Kirby Smart. Then he ha- he was having a great spring. Um, I think he only had three catches in the G-Day game, but in the other scrimmages, all we heard about was Lawson Lucky. Oh, my God, this Lawson Lucky kid, this, that, the other. Now, he had to have tightrope surgery in August, uh, I believe August 16th, and he's only two games back, and he hasn't played a whole lot. I think he played nine snaps and 10 snaps or nine snaps and eight snaps, something like that in the two games. But this is a guy that I believe Kirby Smart will fast track. And over these next, you know, 10 days of practice or two weeks of prep for Florida, I think George is going to work to get this guy involved. I don't think he's clearly he's not going to just step into Brock Bauer's shoes, but I think they'll work to get lost and lucky involved. Kirby actually dropped his name uh, and the post game press conference in Vanderbilt when he said he was talking to the team and he said there would have to be a Monroe Freeling or a loss and lucky, you know, using the example, Freeling obviously came in for Xavier trust when he suffered a sprained ankle against Vanderbilt. Although I saw Xavier walk off the field on his own power and he didn't have any crutches or any apparatuses like that, like Brock did. Right. So um, I'm not sure how long Xavier trust is out uh, or if he's out. We'll wait and see. I'm not sure if Monroe Freeling is the next right tackle. Or where is Amarius Mims, who also had tightrope surgery after getting hurt against South Carolina third week? There's a lot of injuries and a lot of moving parts. But dialing it back to Bowers, Lucky is that guy. Lawson Lucky could be that guy to look for uh, as a playmaker. It's Like I said, it's not next man up for Brock Bowers. It's next men up. For Brock Bowers, it starts with Lad McConkey. I think you add to it, Lawson Lucky, and then you know, kind of picking the third guy. It wasn't as obvious, but where my mind went was, you got to get more out of your quarterback position. And and I don't know if this is in Carson's wheelhouse, but I saw Carson have a run at Vanderbilt where I thought he was sneaky good. He put a move on a guy and got by him, and I said, you know. Carson Beck can run. Carson Beck is a heck of an athlete. We knew that. We knew he was a great basketball player. We've we've heard what a fantastic baseball player. Some guys are just really good athletes. 
Carson Beck is a really good athlete. Now, like any other quarterback, he doesn't want to make his living running the ball 10 or 15 times a game, okay? He wants to settle in the pocket and be the playmaker and and distribute the ball, and that's what he does best. Uh, But I think now it's a situation where Carson is going to have to do more and playmake more. You know, I know in the past Kirby said, you know, punt, you know, kick the ball, throw it away. We can kick it. Okay. Well, now that your offense isn't quite as dynamic, I think you're going to need to ask Carson maybe to do a little bit more and maybe playmake more. And I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, full on option or RPO kind of thing, but I do think you're going to see Carson when there's those opportunities to tuck and run and get yardage. I think he's going to err on the side of doing, or err is not the right word, but maybe lean on the side of a little bit more of that playmaking and less of throwing, you know, throwing the ball away. Because now I think your offense has to come from, you know, fewer guys. You've kind of shrunk it down and everybody's got to do a little bit more. I also think that one of the issues for Georgia has been in the red zone. And Kirby's been upset about that. You know, what did Georgia have, like 540 yards or something stupid like that against Vanderbilt? And yet, they only scored 37 points. Now, part of it was they took a knee late in the red zone, um, but you know, three field goals and three touchdowns before that Kirby doesn't like that ratio. He said, you know, the red zone stats that the NCAA gives you are misleading because it shows what percentage of time you score in the red zone. He said, they don't even look at that. They're more interested in the ratio. How many touchdowns are you getting once you're in the red zone as opposed to field goals? Of course, Kirby's going to raise the bar and, and that's how he looks at it. So, in that red zone, I wonder if they do any sort of a package with Brock Vandegrift, perhaps, you know, a running mobile quarterback, kind of a red zone package. So that's kind of where my mind goes when I think about how Georgia can adapt without having Brock Bowers. More Lad McConkey, the freshman loss in Lucky, you know, he's going to be fast-tracked over this bye week. And then, uh, you know, Carson Beck doing a little bit more with his feet, and then particular, and then potentially uh, a red zone package. So I want to take a halftime break right now. Um, good first half of the show. When I come back, we've got a really special guest, uh, Ben Watson from the SEC Network, former NFL player and former Georgia Bulldog. And I want to talk to Ben about his thoughts on the Brock Bowers injury, where Georgia goes from here, and just what he sees when he looks around the league. So let's Take a short break right now and give some attention uh, to this message from our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department, or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back to the program. And we're now joined by Ben Watson, former Georgia Bulldog and now SEC Network star. Ben with a career in broadcasting. One of the fastest rising stars on the air, Ben. How are you doing today? (laughs) Trying to be like you, my friend. Trying to be like you. I'll tell you what. uh, Brock Bowers was trying to be like you and working (laughs) his way towards an NFL career when things went really bad Saturday in Nashville. Take me back to where you were when you saw it and what went through your mind. Well, he's light years better than I ever was. I was telling my father that this morning when I was talking to him on the phone, I was like, man, this guy is incredible. But 
you know, we're sitting there watching the game, sitting in studio in Charlotte, North Carolina with all the games on. Of course, I'm trying to watch the dogs while I'm watching the other games. And normal play, as you mentioned, he gets the ball on a reverse. Uh, he, he touches the ball in so many different ways, whether it's short yardage as a fullback, out wide as a receiver on reverses. I mean, just such a versatile player. But when he went down, you knew something was wrong. I thought it was a knee initially. Then I heard it was an ankle and was kind of like, whoo, I'm glad it's an ankle. But even so, ankles can be just as devastating. And, you know, the reports are coming out, obviously, that he's – Perhaps he's about to get surgery. Don't know how long he's going to be out, but I think it's going to be pretty extensive if he has surgery. Um, my heart goes out to the player, though. Uh, as a player, as somebody who has you know, given their all in college, NFL, you know what it's like when you get an injury. That's why you see, Griff, that's why you see so many guys crying when they're leaving the field after an injury. It's not because of the pain that they're feeling. It's because they know the work that they put in. They know what it means to be out there. They understand what it means to be a part of a team and they don't want to leave their teammates, even though something happened that was out of their control. And so my heart goes out to Brock um, like it does for a lot of players when I'm sitting there and I see some of these kids uh, sustain these injuries. Yeah. And Brock's a guy who has been hurt before in his career. So he knows what's ahead. And and Ben, how difficult is it? I mean, all of a sudden, you know, people are, people just look at the, you know, the the Google on the internet and they go three to six weeks and then he's back. It's it's not like waving a magic wand, though. It's not we can't expect to see the same Brock Bowers back. And I mean, how does that work in terms of the transition? You never know. Honestly, you never know. Um, a lot depends on the rehab. A lot depends on how well the surgery goes. A lot depends on how much swelling you have after a surgery. Everybody heals differently. That's why it's always foolish in, in my mind to try to compare players or compare an injury that happened a year ago as opposed to one that happens now. There's just so many different variables. Um, but, but you know, we can expect him to work at coming back as soon as he can. I think what Brock has shown is that he's resilient. He's tough. Um, he's a very smart player. He takes care of himself, works extremely hard. Nobody's going to outwork him in the training room and the, on the field in the classroom. And so he'll be back as soon as possible. And then you simply set the expectations from what the injury gives you. Um, his ceiling is really, really high. And so the, the hope is that at some point we're able to see him again, that he's able to come back um, to, to full potential and, and do some of the things that we've enjoyed watching every Saturday. When we look at the Georgia team and Brock was such a, a big part of it in the heart of the offense, really, I think the last three years, I think he's been the most valuable uh, player, um, the most irreplaceable player. Uh, obviously it's going to be challenging this year. There is no Darnell Washington. There is no Donnie Mitchell. There is no Kenny McIntosh. Ben, you've watched these Bulldogs this season. What do you look for now for the Georgia offense as they try to evolve uh, under Mike Bobo with this bye week Where do you think they're going to go with it? Well, I look, I look at last year and, you know, a guy that you and I have talked about and many people talk about wanting to come back from an injury of his own was Lab McConkey. And he came back a couple of weeks ago this week. He got involved. I think he had about four catches. But you look at him last year. Uh, he was second on the team to Brock Bowers in receiving reception. So he's the vital part of this offense. I mean, there are plenty of games last year where he had big catches um, on play action pass or even just going deep. So he he, he has to and he. You know, we expect him to factor in tremendously now that he seems to be a little bit more healthy. But to be honest with you, he's probably still dealing with the thing with injuries is that 
they kind of stick with you for the entire season because you don't have a bunch of time to get better. It's a, it's a matter of managing them, but hopefully he starts to feel better. I think this Georgia offense also relies uh, a lot on the running game. Um, saw some big runs by uh, Dejan last week and, you know, you, you see the offensive line kind of gelling together after I felt like in the beginning of the season, they were a bit um, fractured a bit. I think they, they weren't really working together. And I've seen them kind of take that next step as an offensive line. So that's going to be vitally important. The play action pass is a huge part of what uh, Mike Bobo does. And so there are weapons The the difficult thing with the transfer portal Sometimes is you get it a Dominic Lovett or you get a Rob Rod Thomas and those guys were tremendous where they were, but how do they fit into the offense where they are now? And how does Carson Beck work with those receivers? And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a sort of cohesiveness and a gelling together of those players. They're starting to make those big plays that we expected them to make. Can you replace Brock Bowers? No. And that has to get out of everybody's mind. That's got to get out of our mind, has to get out of the team's mind. Like, he is him. He does what he does. But if you're Oscar Delp, you understand that you're going to get more opportunities. If you're uh, lost and lucky, you understand you're going to get more opportunities. You're going to miss Brock, I think, uh, in the run game. He's a tremendous blocker. A lot of folks don't, don't realize that he does. But, Georgia, the reason why you recruit, the reason why you develop talent, um, the reason why you compete the way you do is because, you know, football is 100 percent injury sport and somebody's going to sustain an injury. The hope is that you can come out and can play inside of it. Yeah, no doubt it's going to be tough. So Georgia's got Florida on deck. It's followed by uh, Missouri, Old Miss, Tennessee. Ben, it's, it's tough. These teams are all coming off wins right now. Um, you know, kind of take me down there. Let's start with Florida. They were able to get a big win against South Carolina. How dangerous are the Gators right now? Well, the Gators are riding high. A big win at South Carolina. They were one and seven under Napier on the road. Now they're two and seven. They were a big game there. That has to breed some confidence for them, make them feel good. Um, going into this next week where they get some time to prepare for Georgia. Um, you know, Graham Mertz took a huge step, I thought. Uh, through for over 400 yards. Uh, he came into the game, obviously, higher completion percentage, but the knock on him, and I think the knock on the Florida offense was they weren't getting big chunk plays. They get about 11 explosive plays in the passing game last week. And so that changes the dynamics of the offense with Ricky Pearsall catching passes downfield. And I, I thought they played, they played how you need to play on the road, which is start really, really fast, um, compete, take the crowd out of the game early, and then have sustained long drives. And so and so, for Georgia, look, when we started the season, we talked about how, how Georgia's schedule didn't really match up to others because, you know, they didn't play Oklahoma. They had, you know, a cupcake schedule, so to speak. I don't think any game is a cupcake, but that's just the narrative that people were saying. But now you look at this back half of the schedule and you look at Florida, you look at a Missouri team that – um, one big uh, on the road against Kentucky. I think that that you know Brady Cook and that offense and that defense, Eli Drinkwitz has done a, a fantastic job of of breeding confidence in his offense. So they're they're riding high, they're rolling, and then you get an Ole Miss team that shoot they can they can score fifty points when they want to, and then obviously a Tennessee team in Knoxville that. Beat the Texas A&M team this week. Now, that's weeks down the road, but my point is the second half of the season now, when you look at it, you've got 
what, three ranked teams, I think, within that. You've got, you know, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee. I mean, you, you got some good football teams. This is the bulk of Georgia's schedule. Unfortunately, they're going to have to face it without um, Brock Bowers. Uh, but that creates a challenge, and, you know, that's why you play college football. Yeah, no doubt. You look at the SEC right now, a lot up to grabs. I'm not going to sell Missouri short either. Fake punt changes the momentum. They score the final 17 points on the road against Kentucky and pull away for that. looks like, and they had the most returning players in the league. Missouri suddenly a really dangerous football team. And we talked about Florida now five and two, not looking too shabby. Tennessee with a big win over AM, getting it done with defense, only a hundred yards passing, but over 200 yards rushing against the Texas A&M front. That's supposed to be all that. So there's no doubt in, in Old Miss, obviously they're a dangerous team with arguably the best running back in the league and Jackson Darta and Lane Kiffin, a very prolific passing offense typically. So it, this league is tough, Ben, and, and we haven't even talked about the West division. Uh, so before I let you go, we got a big game this weekend. Tennessee goes to Alabama. What are your thoughts on that showdown in Tuscaloosa? I think it's a much more exciting game than we thought it was going to be maybe four weeks ago. Um, these teams have gotten better, especially Alabama. Let's start with Alabama. They have really figured out um, how to use Jalen Milrow. And I, I was joking with uh, in studio with Chris Doran, like, look, if I'm Alabama, I'm Tommy Reese. I'm like, look, just throw the ball deep and then tuck in and run and just throw the ball deep because he, he has one of the best deep balls in the entire country, Jalen Milrow does. And he has the ability to stand in the pocket. He takes big hits. And suddenly his receivers are making contested catches and, and making big plays. Jermaine Burton went for a career day a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, that's what was missing, I think, for them last year was a wide receiver that was going to be that alpha. Now it seems to be Burton. They're figuring those, those sorts of things out offensively. And defensively, they're second, I think, in the SEC when it comes to run defense. Uh, they've got a strong group of, of, of secondary players led by Terry and Arnold. Um, the, the linebackers are making play. They're making last year they had seven interceptions. I think they've already got seven this year. Wow. And so they're creating turnovers on defense, which is huge for them. And so you look at where they are in the West. Look, the West is wide open. I mean, the, the, the East is, is Georgia's to lose. Um, but the West is still really, really in play. This is a big game for them. And then you mentioned Tennessee when you were talking about how they won games. For people that think Tennessee is just going to score like 50, 40, 50 points, that's not who they are anymore. They're not a team that's going to throw for 500 yards. They're not a team that's going to hit a bunch of deep balls. Matter of fact, Milton was only connecting on about 34% of his deep passes. He, he wasn't very efficient there. He had a lot of drop passes as well throughout the season from some of these wide receivers. But their defense is playing extremely well. You mentioned the sacks, the pressure on Max Johnson last week. That that turned the tide. This Tim Banks defense was just able to get pressure from their edge rushers. Uh, guy James Pierce Jr. Um, get coming off the edge. That's why they rattled Texas A&M outside of obviously being in Knoxville, being in that home crowd. And so what Josh Heupel has done is he's like, you know what? We don't have Cedric Tillman. Uh, we don't have Jalen Hyatt. <laughs> we ain't got Hendon Hooker. How are we going to win games? Well, we're going to play, play good defense and we're, we're going to run the ball. So surprisingly, I think what you see in this game with Alabama and Tennessee is perhaps a, a more physical contest than maybe we thought it would be. 
with Tennessee's offense um, because their defense is physical. They run the ball extremely well, number one rushing attack in the SEC. So it's going to be a struggle of strength on strength, I think. Um, you know, if I had to pick the game, I'm picking Alabama for sure. But but I think this game is going to be uh, an exciting one uh, in Tuscaloosa. And it's very important. I know that it's going to be hard for Georgia fans to do, but they kind of got to root for Alabama to beat Tennessee. That would give Georgia a little bit more wiggle room if you've got a two-loss Tennessee team. Remember, Tennessee already lost at Florida this year, so it's a little early to get into all these scenarios. Ben, there's going to be a lot of them. If, you know, it's, never, it's never too early, man. Especially when you got injuries. I mean, you gotta you gotta throw it out there so that people understand, you know, the gravity of the moment and why it's so important. Yeah, we already got, we already saw the SEC get dealt a setback when Oklahoma beat Texas all of a sudden when we start looking for how many teams the league could get in the playoff. And listen, I know what Kirby Smart would say. He would just say, I think he did say it, it's a one-game season this week, and then it's a one-game season next week, and then it's a one-game season the week after, and that's the way George will absolutely approach it, especially now. Ben, thank you so much. Uh, for joining the program and giving your breakdown. I love watching you, man, on the SEC Network and the way you guys break that game down. I mean, there's so much going on, especially for me, and I know for fans too, there's so much going on on game day, but at the end of the night, you can settle in and turn on the SEC Network and watch Ben and Doring break this down and, and kind of show you all the highlights and and, and kind of like he did here tonight. You, you got to do this for a living. You're pretty good at this, Ben. <laughs> I'm, dude, I'm trying. I Seriously, I listen to you. I listen to your interviews. I listen to others and you know, I just I, I love the I love sports. I love college football, but it's great. I have a greater appreciation now, honestly, you know, football aside and X and those aside, I have a greater appreciation for the work you do, the amount of preparation and study and reading and stuff. When you, when you're playing, you don't understand what those guys on the other side are actually doing. Now I understand and I really appreciate it. Well, you do an outstanding job. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, thanks, Thank everyone, for joining us. Don't forget, every day, 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily. This Wednesday night, we've got the special with the Mark Richt uh, benefit out there at the bowling alley. It's going to be on behalf of Parkinson's and Crohn's disease. Brandon Adams will be emceeing that. Uh, you know, Kaylee Manzel, Thursday night, uh, we have our uh, show from Marlowe's, happy hour show. And then on Saturday, our tailgater show from Jittery Joe. So thanks for watching us here on Dog Nation. For Ben Watson, this is Mike Griffith. Have a great week, everybody.